At our church, Jesus is Lord. That single belief calls us together as a community and sends us into our world with hope and purpose. At our church, your past will never define your future. There's always redemption, which means there's always a brighter day. At our church, we don't think we're better than any other church out there. We're just doing our best to become our best. At our church, we want you to believe in God, but we also want you to know that God believes in you. We are not against people who don't attend church anywhere. Instead, we pursue them with love, the very same love that's pursuing us. At our church, we're learning to serve God with all our hearts, and we're learning to worship Him with all our lives. And if you're looking for the perfect church, we're not it. At our church, we will make mistakes, but we will choose to grow from them. At our church, we're part of a global community that's knit together by the resurrection of Jesus. And by the way, at our church, we believe that really happened too. At our church, we will engage with people who are in real need because we are the hands and the feet of Christ. And finally, we need you to hear this loud and clear. At our church, it's not really our church at all. It's His. And we live and move and breathe in His church for His glory and His fame, not ours. So here's the invitation. You're invited to jump in with your whole heart at your own pace and to experience the life that awaits you in Christ. Friends, this is going to be good. Welcome to our church. Good morning, good morning, good morning, everyone. Bowie City Church, First Christian Church. I'm Dion Bolding, lead pastor of Bowie City Church, and we're meeting here at First Christian Church. We thank them, the congregation here, to continue to open their church home uh, to us. So we're able to tackle two things at once, preach a service for both churches and all those who are, are watching live or on the replay. Uh, we say thank you and welcome. I want to say happy Valentine's Day. Make sure I said times and not time. Valentine's Day to everyone to express your love that you have uh, for your significant other, your spouse, for your children, uh, and to those that, uh, that you love. It's a day that we celebrate love. So make sure that you do that today. Uh, send a heart emoji to somebody. That would be awesome. We are in the middle of a series entitled, <clears throat> excuse me, Where's the Love? And we are going to talk about marriage today. Where is the love of marriage? Uh, so we're going to be tackling that question, which is awesome. Hopefully you get some insight and some encouragement and maybe some some, some areas where you feel like I need to work on when it comes to, to marriage, being married, staying married, looking to become married, uh, or recovering from marriage, whatever it may be, that uh, this sermon today will encourage you. But before we do that, we do want to lift up some time in, in worship this morning as we express our love to God and his, as he expresses love for us. These are songs, again, that have been provided for us throughout the year, uh, throughout this pandemic year that we're able to engage in worship. So we ask you to do that. Every Sunday we say, sing these songs as if you're singing to God, not just songs that are just familiar. These are songs that you hear on the radio. They're nothing that, uh, anything of sort that's new, but this is an opportunity to sing of God's love for us and our love to God. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we will prepare our hearts to receive the word and message this morning. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the great God you are, how much you love us, Lord. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we thank you that you're able to reach down to us, that you want to reach down to us, draw near to us, to be near to your creation, Lord. 
And God, we thank you for your love and you, you expressing your love to us by sending your son Jesus to die for us. That while we were yet still sinning, Christ died for us, that we may have an opportunity to spend eternity with you and you to walk alongside us and with us and in us while we're here on earth. We say thank you, Lord. And we take this time to sing of that, of your great love for us, how much you love us. And Lord, how much we love you as a people. Let those words be true. Let them not be empty. Let us express our love to you in song this morning. We thank you, Lord. Pray for the sermon that will be your words and not my own as we look at love and marriage this morning. That's all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.
In my experience, looking like a Christian turns out to be a pretty easy thing to accomplish. It takes a while to get the hang of, but after a while, it's honestly just like second nature. There's a, a, a litany of sorts, a, a way to talk, a way to dress, uh, which books to read, which issues to care about. I mean, there are even quite a few varieties to choose from. The fundamentalist, the emerger, the socially conscientious, each one with their own hairstyle and pop theologians and Bible translations. I mean, you're really free to express yourself and still look Christian. But the problem is, and don't get me wrong, all these outward things, there's nothing inherently wrong with them. I mean, feel free to support your local discount Christian bookstore, but the problem is that all these things can so exteriorize our faith that we forget what's happening inside us. Our faith becomes so carefully groomed and stylized that we let those outward things, the politics and the, the book of the week and the newest cause or the latest greatest worship album, we let them numb us from ourselves. And one day we're sitting there thinking, you know, I'm, I'm getting pretty good at this Christian thing and we've, we've totally forgotten this mess of a heart that's inside us. And all I'm saying is, nothing that you do for your image is ever going to change your heart. In your heart, that's, that's all God really cares about. I mean, yeah, it's, it's frightening down there, but, you know, don't ignore it. It's, it's dangerous to ignore it. I mean, your heart, that's your eternity. Amen, amen, amen. How he loves us. God loves us so much. Uh, we can't compare his love to anything else because it's so great, so vast. Uh, so hopefully you're able to experience his love in your life. And if you need some of God's love, reach out uh, to us and we will help, love to help walk you through knowing who God is and the love he has for you. As we go into this, this sermon and about to preach this message, I encourage everybody to, if you're watching on your phone or on your iPad, um, go ahead and share. Share what's going on. I'm going to ask a question. I would love for you to put your answer in the comments in the middle of the sermon so you don't know when it's coming, but I'm going to ask a question. I would love to have your input, your engagement in uh, the sermon while we're asking. I would like to see what uh, everyone's answer is. So be sure to do that. Share that you're watching uh, this morning with others as we talk about uh, love. Where's the love? So that's the question that we've posed. Where is the love? And last week, that we said that the true place that you find love is in Jesus Christ. That the only place to actually experience, to have true love, the love that God actually wants us to have in our lives, is through Jesus Christ. And so if you don't have Christ in your life, if you don't know who Jesus is or what he did for you, that you're missing God's love. And that the only thing that we actually owe each other is love. We don't owe anything to anybody. You don't even own an explanation to anyone. But the Bible says that the only thing we're due to each other, the only thing we're in debt to each other is love. So we must get that right if that is the thing that we owe each other is love. So that's last week's sermon. Go back and watch that in our YouTube archives or in our Facebook archives and see that, share that out. But that is where love starts. It starts and ends with Jesus Christ and it starts and ends with love. But then we move on to say, okay, there are two places that we should find love. We know it's in Christ, but there's two places here on earth that we should find love. And the two places is family and the church. These are the two places that love should be done right. Like, it should be the example of how love should be done. 
the world could be void of love. And so the world should look at two places, the church and family. So for this week and next week, we're going to talk about family. And then Jason is going to finish up and talk about the love for the church or the love in church. Where's love in church at the end of this month? So we're going to talk about family. But today, not necessarily family, but we're going to talk about specifically marriage. Marriage. When it comes to this, marriage is why we are here today. I gotta quote that line, right? From marriage is why we're here. We're gonna talk about it because we know that there is a challenge when it comes to marriage. Marriage is under attack. The home is under attack. Sometimes this battle is overt and it is very apparent, and sometimes this attack is invisible. Sometimes it's simply just a a matter of neglect that we have, or we have this apathy or this disrepair that happens in the home. Whatever the challenge may be, whatever direction that the attack is coming from, seen and unseen, known or unknown, it's clear to see that this is not easy. Marriage is going to be the hardest thing that you ever do in your life when it comes to involving another person in a relationship. It is by far the most difficult relationship that you will ever have on earth is marriage. And you're like, that doesn't sound like something I want to sign up for. But it's the most beautiful relationship that you will ever have in your life is marriage when it's done right. But we know it's under attack, and we know it's not easy. If we're going to make our homes to be a place of encouragement, a place of rest, and a place of safety, we need God's help to get our relationships right. Without God, marriage fails. And without God, marriage is not going to be everything that God has designed it to be and everything he instituted it to be. Now, this is nothing new. This attack is not new. It is old as between God and the fallen angel, Lucifer. See, in Genesis 3, that's where we have the fall of man, where Lucifer, Satan, the devil, is doing everything he can to steal, kill, and destroy marriage. Church, hear me when I say this. The enemy, Satan, the chief way, the number one way that he is going to destroy everything God has is in marriage. Have you ever found it ironic? Have you ever questioned why did he wait or why did he use the opportune time to have man and woman to attack? We don't have any record that Satan attacked Adam when he was in the garden and God was walking with Adam. We don't see any of that. But we see once marriage is instituted, once God brings the picture of two people together, Satan uses that opportunity to make division. He uses the opportunity to pin man against God, to pin wife against husband. And know this, that Satan did not know the outcome. He did not know how God was going to plan. Maybe God told him to plan, maybe not. We don't have that written in Scripture. But we know that he attacked marriage first. The first place he attacked was in marriage. And he attacked it with lies. So we have to understand that the enemy wants to come and steal, kill, destroy the unity, the holy sanctity of marriage that God has designed it to be. So we're going to take this sermon to actually talk about what it takes to build a foundation, a strong foundation of love and marriage. What does it take to build a strong foundation of love and marriage? So in that, I did some research and researched some, some experts when it comes to love and marriage. And so I found these quotes for some of these love experts when it comes to love and marriage. And so these experts are actually children. 
Okay, so I found this, this interview that was done with children about love and marriage. And so this is some of their responses when they were asked questions about love and marriage. This one's from Kristen, who's age 10, when it came on the topic of love. She says, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it before them beforehand. And then they just find out later who they are stuck with, which is awesome. Like, oh, just, I guess I'm stuck with you. That was from Kristen, age 10. Alan, age 10, he says, well, you got to find somebody that likes the same stuff you do. Like, if you like sports, she should like sports. And she should keep chips and dips coming. My man, Alan, find a girl that likes sports and give me some chip and dip, we're good. I, I, I'm not mad at that. There's another one. This is a, a answering the question whether you should get married or should get single, should stay single. And this comes from uh, a nine-year-old girl named, uh, named Annette. And Annette says, well, I think it's better for girls to stay single, but not for boys. Boys need some help. <laughs> Come on, Anita, you're speaking truth there. Boys need help. That's exactly what God says. It's like, man, it's bad for men to be alone. We gotta, they need some help. So uh, she, she's speaking truth right there. And the last one, the last one is this question of it says, well, how to best make your marriage work? And this is from a 10-year-old named Ricky. Ricky says, well, you need to tell your wife that she looks pretty and beautiful, even when she doesn't. I said, come on, Ricky. Pretty Ricky's what they call him. Come on, Ricky. That is true. Like, just tell your wife she looks pretty. Just tell her she looks beautiful. That's what she needs to hear. Uh, Ricky got that straight at 10 years old. My wife and I, Mal, her name is Melvina. I know everyone hasn't met her. If you're first, part of First Christian, we all call her Mal. Mal and I have a marriage that have gone through several different seasons. It's crazy to think that come this summer, I'll be married 18 years. And you're like, 18 years? Hello? Yes, 18 years come this summer, which has been an awesome 18 years. We've had our ups and downs. We have experienced things that have been great and have been fun and we have fond memories of. And we have other ones that made one of us or both of us weep because of the hurt and pain either we caused each other or that the outside world have caused. See, it's really like the nature of marriage. See, marriage is dynamic. Marriage is difficult, and marriage is different every day. Every day brings new opportunities and brings new challenges that will make it dynamic, that will make it different, that will make it difficult. See, marriage, I've heard it explained as marriage is like a river that flows from the top of a nation to the bottom of the nation, where you have the mountaintop experience down to the valley, maybe through the desert, maybe through the heartland, the fruitful heartland of the farmland, to the swamp, and into the ocean, and all those experiences that come in between. That is what marriage is. There's a lot of different seasons, a lot of different experiences, mountaintops, valleys, the muck, the mire, or the celebratory fruitfulness that comes. All those things happen within marriage. So in my observation, there's four seasons of marriage. All right, I'm going to lay out these four seasons, and we're going to start preaching and teaching through what the Word says. But there's four seasons of marriage that I want to explain or express. So the first one is the season of romance. The season of romance, that's where everything is ideal. That's that, like, that movie kind of romance. You know what I'm talking about, that, like, that sleepless in Seattle, 
that you've got mail, that Disney, like that romantic ooey gooey, like you're just in love. That is, that's the awesome part, right? That's what everybody wants. Everybody wants some romance. Everybody wants to be romantic. They, even the most unromantic person will love some romance in their life, will love for somebody to just love them, head over the hills, love them, and for them to love somebody in that regard. That's where most relationships start. And during this romantic season of marriage, most couples demonstrate this intensity love for each other. Like they're just all about, they're just like all just, just love, just can't get enough of my spouse, my wife, and it's great when both are that way. You get that time where one spouse wants to be in that, that, that season and another spouse is not in the season, and so they're like, go take a cold shower, like leave me alone, or hey, why do you keep bugging me and nagging? Like, why are you on me? Like, give me some space. It's best when both are like in love and got eyes for each other and just their heart is for each other. That is this season of romance. And then this is season of romance is basically like this idealistic approach to it. Where like during this season, you're, you're, you put your partner on a pedestal. You put your wife on a pedestal. You put your husband on a pedestal. And the things that they do wrong aren't really wrong. Like you just kind of let them go when you're in this season. You write notes to each other. You write poetry. Songs are written for each other. Or you play this song or you hear this song or you see this commercial or you see something that just makes you feel so ooey-gooey for your spouse. So you've written love letters to each other. You've sent cards. You've sent notes. You've sent text messages. you slid into someone's DM. You've just done all these different things to express this romantic love. Kind of like this love-struck love struck a man that's described in Song of Solomon, you know, Song of Songs. So in chapter 4, this man named Solomon talks about his bride. And I just want to read verse 1 and 2 to you. He says this, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like the flock of goats descending from the Mount of Gilead. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like half pomegranates. Your neck is like a tower of David, built with elegance. And he goes on and he goes on and goes on. He describes this, the physical attributes of his bride that he is enjoying and loving to see. I'm just going to stop at the neckline, but he goes on to describe other parts that he's happy about. Gets a little, gets a little racy, gets a little bound chicka wow wow. So we're gonna, we're gonna leave it right there uh, for that. But he's just saying he's expressing his romantic love for his bride, and we all want that. And every marriage should should strive to be in that. But we know seasons change, and we know that that's not always going to be the case. So you go from this this season of romance, the season of ideal into a season of reality where everything becomes an ordeal. You go from the ideal to the ordeal. Like, it becomes ordeal or ordinary. And this, it's amazing that the thing, the very thing that used to attract you to your spouse, that thing that you just like, that, when I saw that boy, that, that thing he did just made me go, ooh, or when I saw her, when she did that, that made me go, ah. Now, when you're in this season of of reality in the season of everything comes to ordeal, that thing now turns you off. That thing is like, I can't stand it when he does 
I can't stand it when she does. Now it's a bother. Now, I'll be transparent. I'll give you an example from my own marriage. My wife's probably smiling at home. Hopefully she's smiling at this. But I pride myself of knowing my wife, like to know her, like to just know what she's thinking, to beat her to the punch. Like I, I love that. And she loves it. But there's times where she doesn't love it, where it drives her crazy. For example, I, 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 it's a game, it's a challenge. I love to like, try to finish her sentences for her. But I mean to do it in my head. Like I know what she's going to say. She's going to say this. But nine times out of ten, it just comes out my mouth. And it, my wife can't stand it. Like She can't stand it. She's like, why do you try to finish my sentences? And usually I'm wrong. Like, I, I'm not that good at like, knowing exactly what my wife wants or what she's going to say at any given time. She's like, oh, I went to the store to get, I was like, got some milk. She's like, no, why are you, I did not get milk. I got whatever, I got salad. I was like, oh, I thought you were going to say you got milk because we needed milk. And I thought you said, she's like, can I just finish? Can I just finish my sentence? So there, that's what used to be awesome was like, oh, you finished my sentence, you know, you knew exactly what I was going to say to be like, can I, can I speak? Can I speak, please? That's, that's now an ordeal. Used to be ideal. That's just an example that is, you know, every marriage has those things where you're like, your spouse is just like, oh my gosh, I can't. That, that used to be cute, but it's not cute anymore. And by the way, one clue that you know you've left that romantic stage and now you're into this reality stage is that when you see that other couple that is in that romantic stage, you just roll your eyes at them. You're like, oh my gosh, if they just will stop, like, uh, enough already. Go get a room. Like, he's not that awesome. She's not that great. When you, when you have that towards another couple, you're probably not in the romantic stage in your marriage. Just probably not. You're probably in the, the reality ordeal stage. But in this stage, things can become dull. In this stage, things no longer are exciting that used to be exciting. In this stage, you find that there's really nothing new happening. A lot of trying effort seems to be lacking. And the disagreements that used to roll off your back now turn into these cold wars. And then you have these cold conversations, and you have this cold bedroom, and you have this cold kitchen table, and cold meals, and cold conversations, and cold looks, and cold touches, and that the thing that used to be romantic now has gone cold. And you can find yourself in that. And you've gone from puppy love to the dog days. But that's just a season. Every marriage has it. Another season that rolls from that, if you're not being proactive in your marriage, you find yourself now into a season of regret. Now you're going into looking for a new deal. So you had this romantic season where you were thinking marriage was perfect, ideal, and then you move into this reality season where the ideal has turned into an ordeal. And now you can move into a season of regret where you're saying, I just want a new deal. And the new deal gets tempting. The new deal, you start contemplating, what if? And you start moving to temptations and maybe having conversations that you shouldn't have, having dwelling on thoughts that you shouldn't have, maybe viewing things that you shouldn't view, thinking about your spouse in a way that is not encouraging and building each other up. And at this point, you have to you arrive into a place where you have to make a decision. Because in this point, it's a huge mixture of remorse and bitterness. And it's sad to say that a lot of marriages are in between the ordeal 
and in the New Deal. And they find themselves stuck. And one of the worst things to ever feel is a place of feeling stuck, that there's no hope, there's no progress, I can't go, I can't do, I can't move on to. It's a bad place to be in any place, but especially in your marriage. And then you have to move to making three decisions. When you find yourself in this place of like contemplating, having these fleeting thoughts of wanting a new deal, your first option is bail. Like, I'm going to bail out. Maybe you're just like, I just, I just can't, I can't take it anymore. You want out. You've been hurt so long. You've been hurt too bad for too long. You've been neglected for so long. Your life is not what you thought it would be for so long. And you say, I just want out. I just can't figure it out. And I just, it's just not worth it any longer. I am out. And here's the question I have for you. I found this statistic, and I want to see if you have an answer to this, what your answer would be. In America, what is the average length of marriage? Write it in the comments. Do not Google it. Don't ask Siri. Don't ask Alexa. Like, what in your mind, what do you think is the average length of marriage, time of marriage in America? What do you think? What do you think it is? Five. There's one visitor here. Five. All right? Put your comments in there. What is the average length of time of marriage in America? Give some seconds. I know there's a delay. I'm, not, I'm really waiting because I want you guys to actually put it in there. All right? So here it is. Here's the answer. The average length of time of marriage in America is seven years, two months. That this couple that says, I do, and took these vows for each other, says the death do his part until forever we're going to be together, lasts seven years. And that's the sad part, that it was something that was supposed to last forever only took seven years. Some don't even last that long. See, it's easy to get out of marriage today. God did not design marriage for it to end in man's decision to end it. He gives us options to because he knows man has fallen and broken and will break and mess up a relationship. So he gives ways out of marriage, but he doesn't design marriage for it to be left to man's decision. That was not God's plan. See, it's easy to undo a marriage today. It's easier to get unmarried than it is to get out of that monthly book club subscription that you're in or that subscription that you're like, I can't, I've sent emails, I've, I've sent the books back. You guys remember doing that Columbia House CDs, like back in the day when you would get all those CDs, and then you had to get a, a CD every month for like 40 bucks, and you're like, I don't want any more CDs, and you're trying to get out of it, and you just like, oh, get out. It's easier to get out of marriage than it is to stop a subscription. Kind of crazy. Three people got it right? Oh, sweet. Three people got it right. That's awesome. You guys are, are scholars. But it's easy to get out of marriage. It's so easy that depending on what state you're in, it doesn't even take the other person's approval. It doesn't even need your spouse to say, yes, I want to end this marriage. That marriage can end without you wanting it to end. But there comes a point that you say, I'm out. And that may have been you. You may have said, I'm out. For whatever reason, that is not, that's not what this sermon is about. But you had an option, and the option was, I'm out. And our prayers that God will bring restoration to that, to you, to that relationship. And God will use every brokenness in your life to go and minister to somebody else, to go and bring uh, peace and wholeness 
where the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy and to bring, break up unity, God says, I'll come and restore. That's my prayer. That's our prayer for you. Our prayer is that you will find everything that God wants you to be fulfilled in every way that God wants you to be, even when things don't go right in your marriage, even if it's ended. God says, I can still come and bring hope and restoration. For those who haven't bailed, didn't, you didn't bail, they didn't bail, it didn't work out, and you're still there, and you've lasted longer than seven years, congratulations, you're better than average, at least in the length of time. But you might find yourself say, I didn't bail, I'm not here, we're going to work it out for whatever ever reason, we're going to stay together. But you find yourself not bailing, but you find yourself settling. You find yourself in this place of you're going to settle. Like, this is just what it is. This is who he is, this is who she is, and this is what our marriage is, and then I will just, I don't see it getting any better than this. It's like I've heard it said, getting married is like getting into a hot bathtub or hot, hot, a hot tub. After a while, it's not hot anymore. Like getting married is like stepping into that hot tub that first time, you're like, ooh, ah, ah, ooh, and it's like, ooh, like you get all that like, ah, ooh, ah, 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 and then you go, after a while, like, this ain't, this ain't hot no more. Like, this, this ain't nothing. That's not what you want, but you settle in and say, okay, this is what it is. For some of you, things have cooled off, and you're like living with a roommate. And you've poured your life into other things instead of pouring your life into your spouse. And my question is, what would it look like if you poured your life into your spouse I've heard of this story between a, a, a marriage counselor. This marriage counselor had this, this wife that come to them. She's like, I'm done. I'm out. I'm out. She's like, I just want a divorce. He's hurt me so bad for so long. I just want out. And she says, well, if you want out, like, we can, we can do that. Um, before you do it, if you really want to hurt him, she's like, you really want to hurt him? He's like, yes, I want to hurt him as much as he's hurt me. She's like, oh, well, you really want to hurt him. What you need to do is you need to go and you need to just like send him notes, you need to make his favorite meals, you need to just serve him, serve him, serve him, serve him, and then just, just serve him divorce papers. That will stick it to him. She's like, ooh, that sounds good. She's like, all right, I'm going to do that. She's like, all right, well, then we'll, we'll give about two months, you come back, you, you get the divorce papers, and we'll end it. So the wife goes and she does everything that, that this therapist and this lawyer told her, to, the divorce lawyer told her to do, and then they called her two months later and said, hey, it's time to send the divorce papers. We're ready to serve him. And she's like, why would I want to divorce him? She's like, well, because that's what you said. She says, no, I've, I've loved, I've, I love him. I serve him, and he, he's changed, and he's serving me. And I just, I don't want to divorce him. I love him. And isn't that ironic if we take the, off ourselves? I'm not saying this fixes every situation, but if we start to love our spouse the way God has called us to love him, that we would view them in a different light in the midst of their mistakes, in the midst of who they are and all their faults and all their failures, to say, I love you. I'm going to serve you. And that God is bigger than any problem I have. If your marriage is calling you, it's time to get out. You're in something unsafe. Like, it's time to leave and get out. But for those who say they're settling, say, God has a plan for you and wants your marriage to succeed and to flourish. You don't have to settle. What you actually should want to do is the third option. And the third option is build. We're not going to bail. We're not going to settle. We're actually going to build. I'm going to build into my marriage. And I know what some of you are thinking. You've got to be kidding me, Dion. You've got to be kidding me, Pastor D. Like, you don't know who I'm married to. Like, you don't, you don't know, like, how difficult my spouse can be. 
There's no way. And I would tell you, you are absolutely right. I don't know what it is to live with your spouse. I don't know what it is to live with you. Just like you don't know what it is to live with me. And you don't know what it is to live with my spouse. I'm telling you, I make my marriage difficult. I, I, I do. It's not, if I could get something straight, it would be easier. But I pride myself and my wife prides herself and we boast in Christ that we want to succeed in that marriage. We want to build each other up. We don't want to tear each other down. Yes, it's difficult at times. But it's possible to have the marriage that God wants you to have. It's possible to have that marriage that you ultimately want. All the outside success will mean nothing if I'm a failure in my house, if I'm a failure in my marriage. Ted Turner said this quote I found. If you know who Ted Turner is, he's the owner of CNN, the owner of TBS and TNT. He's multi-billionaire. And Ted Turner has says this, after I've done CNN, starting CNN, after starting the super stations, which is TBS and TNT, if you don't know what those are, it's Turner Broadcast, uh, Turner Broadcast Station, and then TNT is Turner Network Television, those two that you watch sitcoms on. After starting those, and then after winning the America Cup, which is a boat race in 1997, after winning the World Series with Atlanta Braves, because he owns the Atlanta Braves, after all these accomplishments, he says, I can do just about everything except have a successful marriage. Ted Turner is famous for the things he does outside his house, but infamous inside his house. And I would rather be, inf- I'd rather be famous in my house or how I love and build my wife up and how she loves and builds me up than being famous and out, outside of my home. The most famous place I want to be is in my home. I'm convinced that most of you want a successful marriage as well. I know you do. I've done marriages. I've never had a marriage counseling session where the people say, after a couple years, we, we plan on not having a successful marriage. I don't, I don't matter if, if, if you want to get married, if you're married, have been married. You all want success in your marriage. That is, that is there's no way around that. But the problem is, is that you feel stuck at times and you just don't know how to make it work. So those are your options where you find yourselves in that season of, I want a new deal. And you, in that season saying, I want a new deal, you says, either I'm going to bail out or I'm going to settle in or I'm going to build up. And if you choose to build up, you'll move into the fourth season, which is a season of renewal, the place of being fulfilled. That you go from this romantic season where marriage is this ideal perfect thing into this reality season where things come from ideal to the ordeal. And then you have your rocky times in your marriage where the ordeal turns into, I'm thinking I want a new deal, like something has to change. And if you say, I'm not going to bail out, I'm not going to settle in, I'm actually going to build up, you will move into the season of renewal. And you will find fulfillment and you'll be fulfilled as husband and wife which leads back into that romantic season. The season of renewal is a time where there's maturing in your marriage, a rebonding of souls in marriage. This time is not this, this time where just things are going to be this enthusiastic and things are that ooey-gooey kind of love that you have in romantic season. It's time to say, no, we're going to put in the hard work to renew, to daily renew ourselves first in God and then with each other. You're going to decide that you're going to build, in this renewal season, build your life on truth. And the truth starts here. 
It starts in God's word. What does God's word say about where's the love when it comes to marriage? Where's the love when it comes to having success in your marriage? See, it's not easy, but it is simple. You must build it on the basics. You have to go back to the very foundation of marriage, and that is where we're going to go in Scripture. There's two verses in Genesis chapter 2. It is the first mention of marriage. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, or Genesis 2, verse 24, says this. I'm going to open my Bible and read it straight from the book. It says, This is why man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. To preface this verse, this is when God says that Adam, it's not good for him to be alone. It's the first time God says it's not good. So God creates Eve from a part of Adam, from his rib. You've heard people say, she's my rib. Your wife is not your rib. She's not your rib. She's her own person. But God created Eve, created woman from man. And that is why a man should leave his father and mother, to build on the truth that God says, now this is good. What is good is when man and woman come together, when husband and wife come together, when they leave their mother and father. That is the foundation. That is building on truth, leaving your mother and father. And that sounds kind of cold-blooded, but let's go through this. Let's, let's, let's hash this out. God says first that when we get married, that we are to leave our parents. This means that we are to sever this emotional umbilical cord from our parents, both sides, the man and the woman. We need to make a break from our parents so that we can build this marriage of love for our spouse. See, when you get married, your spouse becomes your second priority in your life. Your number one priority in life is your relationship with God. Your second priority in life is your relationship with your spouse. See, that word leave is also translated as forsake, which is even like harsher, which means like I totally leave this unity that I have with my parents and I create a new unity with my spouse. Husband and wives, you have to disconnect yourself from the loyalty of your parents' priorities, of your parents' traditions, or your parents' rules, and your parents' influences. <laughs> Not easy. We, I have parents, but my parents have parents. And I remember when my parents were around their parents, and I saw this happening. I saw this like, hey, this is my husband, this is my wife, and we do these things now. These are the traditions we have. These are now our priorities. These are the things, these are the rules we have. These are the influence I have. And I remember the tension there. I remember. So when it's time for me to get married and have my experience of leaving and severing that bond with my parents, of that, intimate, that kind of bond with my parents, it's not easy, but it must happen. See, your partner should never feel like they have to compete with your family, with your parents. They should not feel like they should compete with any person. My chief goal in my, in my marriage is for my wife to feel number one. And when she doesn't feel number one, she lets me know. She's like, hold up. I don't feel like number one. I don't feel like I'm the number one priority relationship in your life. And so she makes that known. God says that, that the most important relationship that was before your marriage is your parents and your family. Now you have a new family. You have to build out on truth. You have to leave your college buddies behind. 
if that your college buddies are the reason that you cause strife in your marriage, you got to leave them dudes behind. If your relationship with your girlfriend is causing strife within your marriage, you got to leave your girlfriends behind. If there's something that comes between you and your marriage and there's another person, those people got to go because your new best friend is your wife. Your new best friend is your husband. Not saying you can't have friends and everything, but nothing should become between you and your spouse, not even family. We're going to build on truth, but we're also not going to build on truth. We're going to build in love. So if you go back to verse 24, it says, So a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two shall become one body. You're going to leave and you're going to unite. You've heard this statement before, leave and cleave. You're going to leave and be united. See, that word united literally means to be glued together, to be melded from two separate pieces that are now put together to form one bond. And the best illustration I can think of of that is using simply duct tape. Now, this duct tape, duct tape is a... it's my buddy Jason Treg, one of his favorite things. My man would fix anything with duct tape. But if you take two pieces of duct tape, as an analogy of what God is saying here, we have two pieces. We have man and woman. And God says, I bring them together, and I unite them. And I don't know if you ever have united two pieces of duct tape together. Put the two together. When now they're no longer two pieces, now they're one piece. To be united is what this illustrates, to be melded and molded together. And in this, this union, God says, and let no man separate this. There's another verse we're going to read later. No man separate this. We're going to try to, if you never try to undo duct tape, we're going to do that towards the end of the sermon. But this is what it means to be united. Now two pieces are now one. And that's what the word is saying, to literally be one. And to be one in love. To be one in love. Now, to be one in love, love have different meanings. So there's four meanings in the Bible when it talks about love. And this love should be found in your marriage, all four. It's called the four bonds of love. So the first one is eros. It's this physical attraction. See, like in your marriage, you now belong to one another. Physically, like the implications of that is staggering. That man, that woman, no longer belong to themselves. They belong to somebody else. They belong to each other, and they should treat each other in that regard. They should treat each other with the highest esteem of value in their life because that's who they are. The most important person in my life is my wife. The most important in my wife's life is me, and we tell our kids that. I love your mom, my kids are watching, I love your mom more than I love you. They're like, oh, how could you say that? How dare you? Because I'm not married to you. I'm married to your mom. I'm married to Mal. I asked her to marry me. And she said, yes, I will marry you. I'm not married to any other person but my wife. And that's that, that, that eros love, that physical attraction like that. I cannot undo that. Then you got the, you got the storage which is this nurture-care kind of love. This involves that love that, that you take care of a person when, you're, when they're sick. That means to encourage your spouse 
in that nurturing way. You encourage them to, to take more classes. You encourage them to, to grow. You encourage them with support. You encourage them to stand up next to them inside them and care and, care and, and nurture from a husband to a wife and a wife to a husband. Then you have that phileo, that, that friendship love, that common value love. This involves sharing life experiences and enjoying each other's companies. This means spending time together doing things that the other person likes. And even if you don't like doing it, even if you don't, that's not what you want to do. You say, okay, I'll do it with you. I know my wife does not like watching this stuff. I like to watch the TV. She's like, how many car races am I going to see? How many football games am I going to watch? And I don't want to watch all the love stuff she wants to watch on the Hallmark Channel. Like, I, I don't. But there's times I sit down and watch it with her. And then we enjoy doing the same things together. That is her being my friend and me being a friend to her. And the last is this agape love. That's that sacrificial gift kind of love. That love that God has for us first. That love that because God loves us, we're able to love. And that love should be the chief love in your life that is not about my will be done, but it's about who you are and who we are. And I sacrifice myself for you. That is where love should be found. All four of those loves should be found in marriage and should be operating in your marriage. And that's the goal of marriage. The goal of marriage is this. Two will become one and to stay one. The goal of marriage is for two people. You ask someone to marry you, you say yes. Hopefully they're going to say yes. Don't ask. Tip. Don't ask. If you don't know, they're going to say yes. If you're kind of like, ah, I hope they say yes, don't ask. Don't ask. Don't like no. Like, y'all should have talked about this. Y'all should know. You're just waiting for the question to be asked. And so, yes, the goal is to get married and then to stay married. That is the ultimate goal. If you go back to verse 24, it says, So a man leaves his father and mother and unites to be united with his wife, and the two shall become one body. The two shall become one body. And this is the greatest gift and mystery, but it is true. That Jesus says in Matthew 19, 6, they are no longer two, but they've come one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. The two have become one. And like I said, have you ever tried to undo two pieces of duct tape? I'm going to do it. And I, I pride myself, I, I'm a pretty strong guy, all right? I'm going to try to undo two pieces of duct tape. Okay, it rips, it tears, it's not smooth, it, it's, it literally cannot do it. And you're like, Don, you're just weak. I, I, I encourage you to try it. See, duct tape is designed, the harder you pull on it, the more the bond wants to stick together. And I'm literally trying. God says, what two, what I put together, let no man separate and if there is somebody in your life that is trying to separate this, if you're the chief reason of something trying to separate this, you are no man, no man, no person. Separate. That is God's design for marriage for it to be till death do you part. From this day forward, I take these vows. And so this should not happen in your marriage. And if it is happening, we need to stop that process wherever it may be because this is not what God wants for you in your marriage. He wants it to be united together till death parts you both. And that 
It's what God has. This, this permanency, this, this, this commitment, this no longer starting marriage. This is a new trend going on about starter marriages. Like, I practice marriage with you, and then I go get it right with somebody else. No, no, no. Like, we're in this together. Nothing holding back. Bonded together. That is why we say, do not enter into marriage lightly. Because this will be the most difficult, but the most rewarding thing that you ever will do. The strength of oneness is huge. If you take two pieces of steel and you weld them together, four by four pieces of angle iron, it can hold 2,000 pounds. But if you double those pieces, you take a two, a four by four angle iron and you weld it together with another four by four angle iron, those two pieces are now one piece, can hold up to 96,000 pounds. That is 34 times more than what you can do by yourself. The same man who wrote that love letter about his bride wrote this in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return on their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, and your spouse should be your first friend to pick you up, to do life together. Jesus says that in this world you will have trouble. It's going to happen. But take heart, I've overcome the world. How much greater is it if I have somebody I'm married to who says, I have the heart of Christ. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Dion, it's going to be okay. Mal is going to be okay. Spouse is going to be okay. God is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. That is what marriage is to be. But there's even a better result than that. See, in verse 25 of Galatians, I'm sorry, Galatians of Genesis 2, 25 says this, and the man and his wife shall both were both naked, and they were no shame. They were not ashamed. The greatest gift a guy can give into a marriage is intimacy with your spouse. See, intimacy means to know each other, accepting all they are, covered and uncovered, physically, emotionally, intellectually, or spiritually. Intimacy with them. And true intimacy cannot be experienced outside of God. Yes, you can have intimacy. You have some level of it. We are made in God's likeness. He's designed us to have intimacy. But when God is in the middle of it, there is nothing like it. See, marriage is designed to be incredibly intimate. And there's no way of hiding the flaws because marriage says, I will make you valuable as you are vulnerable to me. Do you understand that? The more vulnerable you are to me, the more valuable you are to me to be unashamed in front of your spouse. Flaws and alls. The flaws that you had when you first got married won't be the same ones as you continue on your marriage. So if your marriage, God's intention for you is to have this long-lasting Marriage where you can be safe and transparent and valuable and vulnerable without fear of put down. And that starts with Jesus Christ. Oh, church, when you hear me, the first place that you should experience intimacy is with Jesus Christ, where you're able to have this long-lasting relationships where you will be safe in your transparency and your vulnerability and be valued and never be put down in fear because who Jesus is in your life. If I walk with Christ, if God is for me, who can be against me? Not nobody, not even my spouse, because 
God loves me, flaws and all. And he calls me, he beckons me to be holy and to live a holy life and live a life that's pleasing to God, a life that is righteous unto him. He said, I'm with you, Diomi. God says, I'm with you, flaws and all. But he said, I can't leave you in this condition. We have to do better. I've created you to be holy, to get back to the Garden of Eden. So as your marriage moves through these various seasons, from ideal romantic to ordeal reality to this, to this new deal sense of regret at times, you really want to move into this cultivating this relationship with Jesus where you say, I don't just want renewal in my marriage. I want this constant renewal with Jesus. That you need to start living according to his guidelines. That you start living according to the basis that he said, the, the, the basic of marriage and to build your marriage according to his specifications. If you want to read something about marriage, read Ephesians 5. My favorite verse is not going to be on the screen. is Ephesians 5.25. Therefore, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church and presents her holy and blameless. That is what I'm called to do as a husband. If you have not yet surrendered yourself to Jesus, and you have not yet asked him for the forgiveness of your sin, if you have not experienced this, this union between you and Christ, it's the most important relationship that you will ever have. It's a more important relationship than you and your spouse, who you're going to marry, who you are married to, who you used to be married to. That is a relationship that you must get right. Without Christ, you're going to keep asking, where is the love in your marriage? Without him in the middle of it, you're going to say, Ah, more often, where's the love? Even when you're in Christ, you're going to ask sometimes, where's the love? We constantly have to work on our marriage. We constantly have to build on truth and build on love and work in renewal. And that's my prayer, this prayer of renewal. So as I close this morning, I ask this question, where do you need to pray for your marriage? And I'm talking about you want to get married, you are about to get married, you are married, you've been married for a long time, or you used to be married and you're no longer married. Where do you need prayer in the spectrum of that? From the day if you're young and single, to you engaged, to you just got married, you're in the middle of your marriage, you've been in a long-lasting standing marriage, or you used to be married for whatever reason and no longer married. Where do you need prayer in your marriage? Where does love need to be healed in your marriage? That's my prayer for you, that you would pray that this morning. That if you're married, that you would recommit your, your life to your relationship with your spouse. That you would not take moments for granted. That you would leave and cleave and have this oneness and this intimacy. And you would pray through the difficulties of your marriage. If you have lost a spouse either through divorce or through death, that you, my prayers for you, that God will bring restoration and healing to you. That God could use you in another relationship to have success in that and healing in that. If you're a single parent and you're missing the other person in your marriage, I pray that God will restore that relationship, that broken marriage, that broken relationship in your home and protect your kids. The greatest value you can give your kids is to have a healthy marriage in front of them. I ask God that he will bring you the right person in his time, not your time. 
Oh, church, if we can be a, a church, two churches, or a church united that is shining example of Christ in the church through our marriage, how we will make a change, how will people look at you and say, there's something different about your marriage. You say, I know it's Jesus. I know you probably want to take credit, but it is Jesus. If it wasn't for Jesus in my marriage, it would be in shambles. Where's love in a marriage? It starts with Christ at the center. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the great God you are, how much you love us, Lord, and your grace and mercy. And God, we thank you for this, this institution that you designed called marriage, of your design of who man is, and how you designed a man and Adam to be perfect, Lord, and how you designed woman to be in partnership with him, and him with her, and her with him, Lord. And God, my prayer is that we would strive from wanting to get married to preparing to get married to being married, long-standing marriage, to when our marriage ends, Lord, that we want to get back to the Garden of Eden. Oh, Lord, what it would look like to have a perfect, have perfect people in a perfect marriage. But God, we know sin comes in. We know trouble comes in. We know that we are at times the own cause for the strife in our own marriage, Lord. Lord, work in our own hearts. Let's be people. Let us be husbands. Let us be wives that pursue righteousness. To say, I want to have the marriage God wants for me, a flourishing marriage, even when trouble comes, that we will be able to stand firm because who we're anchored in. Lord, show us where we're falling short in our marriage. Show us where we're falling short in our love, in our bounds of love for each other. Lord, keep us pure. Keep us having eyes for you and our spouse alone. Let us have hearts for you and, our, and for our spouse alone. Let us be example to the world and to our children. Lord, any marriage that is suffering, Lord, let them reach out because you are bigger than any problem. You can, you're the solver of every problem. Lord, bring restoration, bring healing, bring this new level of renewal in every marriage. That's all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're going to, before we go into worship, and conclude, we're going to extend this time of worship where we have a where we will give this opportunity to give. So we have a video for you to watch, and then we'll explain how you can give as an extension of your worship. Watch this video. Give. And the way to do that 
is an easy way. We have two phone numbers that you can text through. If you're a member of Blue City Church, if you attend Blue City Church, or if you attend First Christian, there's two uh, distinct phone numbers that you can use to text in your tithes or offering uh, digitally. So if you're with First Christian, you call this your church home, you want to give to them, the phone number that you can text to is 301-970-3646. That's if you're First Christian. If you call Blue City Church your church home, you can text the number, text to 301-970-4565. And what are you going to text? You text the word give, and then all the instructions will show you how you can give. This is just an easy way to do that. If you don't want to do it through your phone, you also can go to the website. Both churches have ways that you can give on the website. So go to the, both churches' um, web addresses, and you can give there. Or you can give old school way by snail mail, which is just mailing your check and both mailing addresses at the bottom of the websites. We long for the day when we're able to do this in person, where you're going to give your tithes and offering and worship in person. And hopefully that happens sooner than later. That is our prayer uh, for that. But know that when you do give, 30% goes to missions, goes to, to doing things, um, furthering the kingdom. It doesn't go to any of this stuff. We operate off 70% of what's given, 30% set aside to go do specific kingdom work from locally to parts of the world that we able to go, but we help send people there. So know you give, you're able to give generously and not give to a church, but through a church. So we thank you for joining us this morning uh, as you've given your time and your effort and your, your, your talent and treasure this morning. Hope you've been encouraged in your marriage, current marriage, restore, restoration of marriage, and want to get married again or remarried or I just want somebody to like me, whatever it may be. Hopefully this message was encouraging you. We're going to end this time with a, a, a song of worship and actually engage with it as well. And we will see you uh, throughout the week. We have Bible study Wednesday night for the ladies. Uh, we have Sunday, Saturday morning for the men. We have Friday night for the youth group. And there's prayer as well here uh, well, virtually for those at First Christian on Tuesday night. All that information is on our church website. You guys be blessed. Be safe. Happy Valentine's Day. And we will see you next week. God bless.